I have something brand new that I'm super excited to share with you. It's called the Community Creators Hub, and I've made it just for you. You can search through every episode of this podcast by keyword, download all of my favorite guides and resources, and find all of my recommended tools for community creators. And the best part? It's completely free. Just go to Community Creators Hub, that's Community Creators Hub, H-U-B, dot com to get your free access. Alex Sharfin has been in the business space since he was eight years old. He has built businesses to 250 million plus. He has burned them to the ground and started over. He has published the book Entrepreneurial Personality Type in 2016 that will change the way you as an entrepreneur understand yourself and how you can build your business with a deeper understanding of who you are. Alex Sharfin is a name that you probably know. He's been featured on MSNBC, Fox News, CNBC, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, just to name a few. He is the author of The Entrepreneurial Personality Type, which we're going to talk a little bit about, but he's also an absolute operations genius. He runs the company Simple Operations with his wife, Katie, and he has a story to share with you that will be life-changing if you are somebody who is in the midst of scaling a business or who thinks that you may want to scale a business one day. I am so grateful to have him in for this conversation because Alex is the kind of person that is going to tell you how it really is. He's not going to give you a simple formula that's going to fix your business operations, but he is going to tell you what is really the problem, what we really need to be working on to get your business to a place where it can scale. This is for you, the online business owner who wants to maximize your profit and multiply your impact. I'm Shanna, host of the Community Creators Podcast. I've spent over a decade helping top brands and entrepreneurs create thriving communities that increase their reach, retention, and revenue. This podcast is where I share my best insights and invite you into conversations with the world's leading community creators and cultivators. So grab your favorite mug, fill it up, and let's get started. I'm incredibly grateful for the conversation that I get to share with you today. Usually when we have somebody on to talk about operations, you're going to hear about systems and processes and teams. And yes, we talk a little bit about that. But Alex Sharfin, my guest today, is going to give you insight into operational scale and struggles that entrepreneurials face as they try to scale that you have never heard before. But trust me, if you have a business that you are trying to scale, or if you have a business that you feel like is running you instead of you running the business, you absolutely must set aside the time to listen to this episode today. Alex, I am super glad to have you here today. We're going to be talking about operations, which if we're talking about operations, there's nobody else that I would want because I know you helped Lauren Tickner, who was just on the podcast. And if you all heard that episode, she talks a mile a minute, but she has her ops down. It is insane. And then I know you also helped Alex and Layla Hermosi, and I'm a big admirer of Layla and her operational know-how, and I think you had a big part in that, right? Yeah. Early on, I was able to work with Alex and Layla from like 2016 to maybe 2020, something like that. They're extraordinary entrepreneurs. So is Lauren. They're just amazing at what they do. But when you get some operations and some structure and process and routine, that's when you really see how talented an entrepreneur is. 
Yeah, and how they're able to scale. Because I know a lot of the people listening to this are at that point of scale. We have a lot of clients who are like, oh, we just had a 1,000 members in our membership. Now we have 3,000. What do we do? And we'll be talking a little bit about like what needs to be in place operationally in order to really sustain that kind of scale. But before we do, let us all know, what is your favorite community you've ever been a part of? What did you love about it? Gosh, it's such an interesting question, Shannon, because I think for most of my life, I didn't put a lot of value on community. To be quite candid, due to like how I was brought up and the reflection of the world around me, I had a very transactional view of relationships in general. It was like, we have a relationship, so we can do this thing, and then we get out of it, and then it doesn't matter anymore. And so it wasn't really until late in my entrepreneurial career that I even started to see that there was power and value and validation and grounding in communities. And if I had to answer what my favorite community is that I've been in as an entrepreneur, it's probably Archangel by Giovanni Masico up in Canada. It's not probably, it's Archangel. Gio's a really close friend of mine. And he has this community where he curates just the most incredible, amazing people in a way that people show up where they are transparent and they're real and they're there to help and they're there for the experience of the community. They're not there to sell everybody. They're not there to stroke their ego and show how important they are. They're there to support each other and to validate each other and to answer questions for each other. And I just went up to Canada three weeks ago. I, I'm terrible with time and this has been a very busy month, but I was just in Canada, I think two or three weeks ago with my 16 year old Reagan. And she actually attended three days of Archangel Summit with me. And it was amazing to be in this community where there's so many people I respect, so many people I love, so many people who have helped me, so many people doing incredible things in the world. But then to also watch my 16 year old interact with entrepreneurs that have huge businesses that are changing the world and still took the time to connect with her and talk to her and understand why she was there and what she was excited about. And, you know, I think as, as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we don't put a lot of emphasis on relationship or community until we understand just how powerful it can be. And, you know, I'm in that place now where when I go to Archangel and I spend a few days with those people, I come back and it just feels like massive momentum. Yeah, you're completely re-energized. And it's interesting because I don't know, I've been in this for 10 years. I know you've been in it for a lot longer, but I don't know if the space itself is maturing or if we're all just maturing, but you're right. In the beginning, it was all very transactional. That word collaboration was really just a guise for what can I get out of this relationship and what do I have to give you to get something back? But we are, you know, maybe it's COVID, who knows, but we are starting to see that shift where people are really quick to move away from false community, move away from those spaces where it's very clear that this is just a transactional relationship. And I think it does something for us as people, and I say this all the time, but when we have a place where we can show up fully as ourselves and be received and loved as that person, we show up more fully in the world which is what creates a better world, which is why I care so much about community. I want people to have that space. I think for a long time, people thought they had it, but they never really experienced true community. So I love that you're even admitting like, hey, I don't think I really got this right for a long time. But now that I've found this, I don't want to lose it. I love it. And I'm inviting my family into it because that's how much I know the value of it. Yeah. I mean, I think in some way, Shanna, you kind of pointed out the challenge with a lot of entrepreneurial communities that are out there. You know, I think 
you have to be careful with one you join. I've been in some that are really challenging. You know, I didn't understand how challenging they were when I was in them, but in retrospect, I can look back and see that depending on the person who's curating that room, who's running the community, you know, I've been in communities where it really is everybody pitching each other and everybody trying to show up and be better than everybody else. And there's like these comparison and competition, like, oh, how big's your business? How many people on your team? How, you know, those types of questions to see like who's more important than the other person. And I think the same way the community is incredibly important, if you get into one that is unintentional, if you get into one where people don't show up as who they are, you know, there's that old Chris Rock joke that like you meet someone at a party and they send their representative. So you never really meet them. It's the person telling you who they want to be. I've been in those communities where I'm having a conversation with somebody and energetically I can feel like, oh, we just shifted from reality into a sales pitch. And into like the representative conversation and I can feel it. I'm like standing there thinking, I don't want to be in this conversation because it's not real anymore. And so I think in the same way that communities can be absolutely life-changing, they can also create a ton of constraint and a ton of frustration. And so being really intentional about where you choose to spend your time and finding exactly what you said, the room, the space, the container where you feel totally comfortable showing up and sharing everything. And when I think about the last experience I had at, at Archangel, that's exactly what I did. And I think in some ways, some of the communities that I was a part of were not effective for me because I was afraid to do that. I was just like everybody else, like trying to, to be the most important person in the room or not show weakness or not show challenges or not show any type of constraint in my life. And when we show up to communities and we don't talk about what's really going on, we get nothing out of it. You might make a sale or you might find a deal or you might find someone to collaborate with, but you don't get the grounding and the validation and the confirmation that you get when you are willing to be yourself. And so I think the biggest litmus test for a community is, can I walk into this room and tell everybody what's going on and feel okay about it? And thank God I feel that way at Archangel. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because without those relationships, I think business owners really struggle. I just experienced this. We talked about it a little bit before we got on and, and pressed record, but I just had a friend reach out who I met through a community who I've developed trust and relationship with, and she shared with me that she had to let go of her whole team. This is not actually the first person. I hosted a little a dinner in Nashville three weeks ago, and there was somebody else who is well-known in the space who just had to make a similar decision to basically start from scratch with their team. When I was talking to this person about what happened? And like, how are you slowing down? And how are you refining your processes? They said to me, like, that's the problem. Like, we never had processes in place. And honestly, like, this is one of those people that has been touted for being a seven figure membership owner in a lot of communities. And I think oftentimes, we all kind of want the plaque on the wall or the shiny metric, but there's not people who really know what's actually going on behind the scenes. And when I get a client that comes to work with me, we talk about retention. Oftentimes they think like, oh, we're going to do a gamification strategy. And the first thing we talk about are systems and processes. And they get so confused because they're like, you're not an operations consultant. I'm like, no, I'm not. But retention is an operational system first and foremost. But they don't have those processes. And it's eating at their profitability. It's causing the entrepreneur to work themselves and their team into the ground. And, and ultimately, I think it leads to a lot of burnout. And it leads to businesses having to completely shut down or, or kind of cut everything back and, and start from scratch like my friend is. So when you go in and you're looking operationally at a business that has scaled fast or 
is on the verge of scaling, are there any like red flags that you can just immediately see that people need to be looking out for? When you say immediate red flags, I think (laughs) in my experience, when an entrepreneur who has never scaled a business before reaches a new level when they go first time that they hit seven figures or first time that they hit 3 million or 10 million or any of those things. There's a lot of uncertainty and there's not a lot of clarity of what to do next. And what I see consistently in those places is that the majority of entrepreneurs got there by doing more, by doing more of what they're doing, by putting more time in, by putting more effort in, by putting more energy in. And gosh, Shanna, you know, these days, In the entrepreneurial world and in the world of rhetoric in our lives, there is so many people saying, if you want success, just work harder. If you want success, sacrifice more. If you want success, give up more. It's like every third reel on Instagram. 100%. You're not working hard enough. Every time I see them, I'm like, wait a second, you don't really understand entrepreneurs because we work ourselves to death. And so like, I don't know a lot of entrepreneurs that need to hear the message, work harder. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that need to hear the message, you don't have to work this hard. And I think that this constant reinforcement of if I put in more effort, I'm going to have everything that I want and things are going to get easier is an absolute false prophecy, a false promise, because as entrepreneurs, as visionaries, we need way more help than the average person to get to the outcomes we want to create the change we want in the world. And we have a really hard time asking for help. I call it the entrepreneur's dilemma. We need more help than the average person, but any request that we make for help or support of any kind leaves us feeling vulnerable and exposed. And as a result, I see entrepreneurs who have done everything it takes to get a business off the ground. And what does that mean? It takes everything. You have to do everything when you start a company. But that also psychologically conditions us that no matter how big that company is, we have to be involved in everything. We have to be doing everything. We have to be checking everything. We have to be seeing everything. And that becomes the biggest constraint. To me, that is the biggest red flag. When I see a business that's growing and I ask the entrepreneur, like, what role do you play? And they say, well, I kind of look at everything and I kind of do everything. Like you are already in a place where any type of scale is going to cause you pain. And unfortunately, we're in a world where oftentimes when you're at a mastermind or an event, the person on stage who's talking about how successful they are and giving advice is also the person who's in the most pain. And I'm not going to certainly wouldn't ever name names, but there's been too many times where I'm in a room and I see a person on stage and I'm like, wow, I know that person. I know the pain they're going through. I know the stress they're going through. I know the frustration they're going through. I know just how close they are right now to shutting everything down. In fact, yesterday in the hallway, they told me they're having the fantasy of going back to doing it all themselves. And now they're on stage telling everybody else what to do. And I think that as entrepreneurs, we need to understand that doing more and putting more of yourself in and just working harder is an equation that only goes in one direction. If you're going to work harder the whole time, just putting in your time, you're going to end up in a place where there's the day where you can't do more and the day where you can't work harder and the day where there's not 10 minutes more. And that's when things come crashing down oftentimes for entrepreneurs. That's when they finally realize like, hey, I can't do this. I can't sustain this. I know this intimately because I've done it. In my 20s, I ran a business where it was a consultancy and we worked with major brands here in the US and internationally. And then we marketed them in Florida and the Southeast United States and in Latin America. I had an offices throughout Latin America. I had a few offices in the US. I had a pretty large team but I built the business directly around me. It was like my entire team was assistants and I was still doing everything. And 
the level of stress that I was under, the level of pressure that I was under from the outside looking in, I looked very successful. I had a multi-million dollar business. We were doing $250 million in sales. I had a large team. From the inside, I felt like an imposter anytime anybody asked about my business. I was afraid to talk about it because it was so hard to run. By the time I was 30, I weighed over almost 300 pounds. I was on prescription medications. My doctor told me I was his next likely case for a heart attack or a stroke. My blood pressure was off the charts, even medicated. I was in a terrible place because I had bought in to this myth that if you work harder and you start building a team and work harder and you start growing that team and work harder and you start scaling the company and work harder, that if you just work hard, you're going to get everything you want. And there was a day shortly after I met my wife, Katie, where I got up in the morning and the entire business just became confronting. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel like an imposter. I don't want to be overwhelmed every day. And I built myself into a place where in that business, I couldn't see a way to fix it. And so I did a fire sale, exited the business for a lot less than what I should have or what I could have. I absolutely should have exited the business. I don't want to say that. I'm so glad that I did. It was life-changing, but it was because I didn't understand that if I didn't get help and if I didn't delegate first responsibility and then delegate time and then delegate success, that I was going to end up responsible for everything. I was going to be in the chair for everything. And it was one of the most challenging times of my life to have that realization and then to get out of this business that I had built for 10 years. Yeah, to walk through a time like that. And then now you are helping business owners and entrepreneurs prevent that very thing from happening to them. I mean, that's pretty powerful. And I just think about the marketing message that so many people sell is this idea of time freedom. And I actually just wrote a letter to my newsletter yesterday. And I wrote about this challenge that we face where if we build our business right, we should be getting more time. We should be making more money for the time that we're putting in. But often what happens is we feel guilty that we are making more money and working less. We feel guilty that our team is doing more and we are doing less and we're the one making all the money. And so by default, we take this white space that we bought into that course for or that membership for, we take that white space of time freedom and we fill it with more work and deliver more and do more, which often isn't what our our people that we're serving really need in the first place. But we never actually embrace the very gift that we said that we wanted in the beginning because there is this like feeling of guilt. And so what I hear you saying is that oftentimes before you can even start building out the operational processes, you have to realize that there's a lot of mindset in this and there's a lot of you as a leader, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner that you're going to be fighting against yourself. And that's not something that you can just be like, oh, hey, yeah, no, entrepreneurs are kind of like this, but do this anyways. It actually is a real struggle for an entrepreneur to not have that feeling of doing more and working harder. Yeah. You use the term guilt. I think guilt definitely plays into it. But we see this in our program all the time. I'll just kind of give you a scenario. We have members who come in and they are overwhelmed in the day-to-day. They feel like the business might be on the verge of breaking. They have a team and they don't really understand what the team is doing and they're starting to lack trust with the team or they're starting to kind of create some animosity towards the team or maybe even animosity towards the team and their members. And then we'll start working with them and they install some operational systems and they put some processes in place. And if you have the right process and structure that really supports entrepreneurs, things can happen fast. Sometimes in as little as 90 days or four or five, six months, 
we take an entrepreneur who's putting 10, 12 hours a day into a business and we cut that in half. And we have what we call the freak out period because suddenly this entrepreneur who's always wanted time freedom, who's always wanted autonomy, who's always wanted space and spaciousness has time, freedom, autonomy, and space and spaciousness. And it is terrifying because it doesn't feel productive to do nothing. And it doesn't feel like we're doing the right thing if we go get a massage or see a therapist or work out or go for a walk or take care of ourselves. And it doesn't feel significant if everybody doesn't need you and there's time and space on your calendar. And like you said, what will often happen is entrepreneurs will turn around and start filling the space and do something new and, and they create fires they start creating fires in the business. Like you said, their membership might not even want what they're doing, but they're doing it anyway, just to feel significant. Then they can get back to that place where, okay, I'm overwhelmed again and I've got too much to do and I'm significant. And I feel like I'm making a contribution because everybody needs my time. But what we don't realize is if you're always putting out fires, you're probably the arsonist. And if you have a business where there's constant panic, you're driving that as the owner, you have to take responsibility for that. And when we commit to the reality that we got into this for freedom and then we really start seeing that show up, that's when we have to like double down and understand that's why we're here and that's why we're doing this. And Shanna, there's some entrepreneurs who can't deal with it. We don't have a lot of them, but we have people come into our program. I can think of a couple. There's not a lot. It's like less than one out of 10, but they'll come into our program, get tons of time back have a business that starts scaling predictably, but they can't deal with the absence of stress. They can't deal with the absence of that constant pressure. That is an addictive feeling. When we're under stress, our body gets a whole mix of chemicals that is a very addictive mix of chemicals. We get thyroid and adrenaline and cortisols and all kinds of stuff that our body becomes addicted to. And, and if we get to a place where we no longer have that, and we don't replace it with new behaviors like taking care of ourselves and being intentional, we'll often go right back to it. And I've seen so many people in our, not a majority, but I've seen a handful of people in our membership who have gotten to the place where they have time and space and they go right back and break it apart and go back to how they were. I think for some of us, that's a learning experience that maybe we need to have three or four times before we finally figure out we don't need to do that. But it's definitely an issue in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I can imagine for some people that it's a place of comfort that was even trained in them from a young age, right? I know I grew up in a very like chaotic childhood environment and I really struggle with that same thing of feeling okay with doing things for myself, of feeling okay with white space on the calendar. And my husband is so kind and gentle and just my perfect match. And he's always just reminding me of like, this is what you've been building for 10 years. This is important. This is valuable. This is the best work for you to be doing. Your identity is not in how many boxes you check today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yes, thank you so much. So if I am that that business owner and I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, yes, I am definitely the arsonist in my business, or I feel like I'm on the verge of that, like I'm starting to feel that tension with the team. I'm starting to feel that overwhelm. What do they do? do? Like, what is the first step? Is it, I think a lot of people default to hiring more team or letting go of the team that they have and replacing them. Is it team or is it process? Like, I think it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg, but what do I do if I get to that point? I think this answer is probably going to come out of left field, but I think you just kind of alluded to it. Every entrepreneur I've ever worked with that has built a significant company has been through massive trauma in their lives. 
And you said a interesting childhood. I can't remember how you phrased it, but what I heard was I had a traumatic childhood. Exactly. And I think for a lot of us, it's even hard to admit that. Like, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, no, 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 I didn't have trauma in my childhood. I'll have a 10 minute conversation with them and they're sitting there thinking, God, I did have some trauma in my childhood because it's every single one of us. And one of the most significant things that I've seen entrepreneurs do is when they go start addressing the trauma, their behaviors in life and in the world change. When an entrepreneur gets EMDR therapy, EMDR therapy is like such a staple for me. It's so good and it works so well with our personality type. Or when they start doing psychedelic therapy with somebody who really understands integration or they start talk therapy, I have not seen be super successful over time. Or they start working with like the right coach, the right facilitator that's going to really help them understand their trauma and work through that trauma. Oftentimes that causes a behavioral change in the business. I think that for so many of us, that addiction to stress, that addiction to the chaotic environment, that addiction to the significance of being in stress and chaos actually is repeating a learned behavior from our childhood of being in stress and chaos. And when I look at the entrepreneurs I've worked with, the reason that we can put up with the ambiguity and the pressure and the stress of being an entrepreneur is because we are repeating patterns that we've had in our lives. I know I did. And I know I have, and I know I still do. I've definitely gotten better and I understand them more, but I still definitely do. I think all of us do. And when we can process some of that trauma, we can understand how much suppression there's been in our lives. When we can understand how much challenge we've really been through, how much we've overcome, oftentimes in the present day, it releases that addiction to stress and to all those stress hormones and chemicals and to the significance of being stressed And that really is a massive conduit to changing behavior in a business. I love that you brought up EMDR because I I have like life before EMDR and then life after EMDR, which happened like, I must have been like eight years ago, maybe more than that. It's probably more than that. But my husband and I are both huge advocates for it. But so what I hear you saying is that it's less about team. It's less about processes. It's more about the entrepreneur themselves because if they build the team and build the processes, but they haven't done their own work, they're going to end up right back where they started. I think it's a combination of those things. You asked like, what is the one thing? And so I think having process and structure is crucially important. And having an operating system for your business is really important. And having a process through which you delegate is really important and building the processes within the business. But in my experience, if you don't get help for yourself as an entrepreneur, a lot of the challenges that you have in the business are just going to continue repeating themselves. And I too have like life before and life after EMDR. Thankfully, I found it about 24 years ago. I was 26. I was getting out of a really challenging relationship. And I started doing that work. And I think it's part of the reason that I was able to walk away from the business that I had because I was understanding myself better and knowing just how incongruent and untenable my situation was. And I've on and off done EMDR for that entire period of time. I'm not every week, not all the time. It's one of those therapies that actually works really well when you're feeling under pressure, but it's helped me understand that if I'm in a place where I'm creating stress, I can now see it. If I'm in a place where I'm creating chaos, I can see it. And so I've gotten infinitely better at that. And I think coupling growing yourself with growing the business is really the way that things work. And I'm glad that you have done EMDR therapy. I usually get a bunch of questions about what it is, but it it is. It's an incredibly effective therapy that'll help you understand yourself better. I think 
the things that very few entrepreneurs admit or understand is that we're the most important person in the business, period, end of story. If we're not treating ourselves in a way that makes us grounded and present and aware and in our bodies, we're running our business from a place of not being grounded, from a place of lack of awareness, from a place of being disembodied. And oftentimes, that's why you see these tragically chaotic businesses that are quote unquote successful, but then fall apart. It's because we're not actually in a place where we're consciously running that company and consciously making the decisions we need to make most of the time. I'm not saying we're just completely checked out all the time. That's not how business works. But if we stay in a place where we're in that overload, overstressed, overwhelmed place long enough, things are untenable. They don't keep growing. Yeah, and at least the really toxic culture, right? Which often, you know, people talk about toxic culture. I'm like, nobody intends to create that. It's because they aren't intentionally creating a culture otherwise, or because they're trying to create a culture on paper, but they themselves, their energy, the way they present themselves in the business actually has more impact on the culture than any mission, morals, values, whatever that they put on paper. You've mentioned this a couple of times, and I'd love to just for you to just kind of explain what this means, because you keep talking about an operating system, which I love the idea of, but I think it takes a while for business owners to get to a place where they understand what SOP is. We have a standard operating procedure, and it's like every task in the business should be documented and written down. And then people go, oh, we do have really good systems. We do have an operating system in the business because every individual employee has an SOP for every single task. I have a feeling that's not what you're talking about when you're talking about an operating system. So can you explain what that is? Sure. One option to grow business, and I think it's really the best option, is to have an operating system that creates consistency around three things. What you plan to do as a company, how you execute that plan as a company, and how you grow, manage, and take care of the people in the business. And when you look at those three specific things, how you plan what you're going to do, how you execute those plans, and then how you take care and grow the people in the business, in 99% of entrepreneurial companies, those things don't exist. There might be project plans for individual projects. There might be a project management software that is like, quote unquote, managing execution, but rarely really is. It's more of like a task list for everybody. And then when it comes to managing and growing people, there's usually a complete deficit of systems altogether. And in a lot of businesses, words of people have 20 person teams that they don't ever meet with. And they do everything through Slack and they do everything through voicemails and voice notes. And The other side of that is putting a system together through which everyone on the team understands a plan and where you're going, exactly what you're going to do. If you and I were to walk into a locker room right now to any professional sports team on the first day of the season, and we walked up to the rookie who is brand new on the team and it doesn't even know where the bathroom is, and we say, hey, what are the goals around here? They'll tell you in a heartbeat, I want to get to the Hall of Fame. I want to win the championship. I want to win everybody I line up against this quarter. Here's our schedule for the month. Here's what I have to do this week. And if I do this workout and this training and these drills today, I could possibly get to the Hall of Fame. And you walk into the average entrepreneurial business and you say, hey, what are the goals around here? And you know, Shannon, I've had these conversations. You get answers like survive, don't make the entrepreneur who's running it angry, make sure nobody gets upset who's in our membership. There's not clarity as to, hey, here's exactly where we're going. And when you have a system where you can create that parallel, where the championship is your long-term client-centric mission, and the Super Bowl is what is that year-long outcome? What 
financial revenue are you going to drive for the year? And the quarter is like, what projects and what projects, policies, people, and processes are we committed to changing or adding or improving in this quarter? And then what are we going to execute this month? What are all our tasks for the week? And what are you doing today that's going to get us to that long-term client-centric mission? When you install that in a company, you go from running the business by personality, which means you're telling everybody what to do all the time. And you're in this place of transactional management of telling people what to do, checking that it got done, telling them what to do, checking that it got done. That's how most project management software really works. It is a transactional management system. If you can shift that over to what we call transformational leadership, where the entire team understands clear outcomes for every project and for everything going on in the company. And then you can assign those outcomes to people on the team and coach their success rather than checking that it got done. You're supporting them and helping them and helping them get to the outcomes. And if you have clear outcomes and you coach success, you get leveraged results with your team. It changes everything. In multinational, huge corporations, there are entire teams dedicated to planning. My cousin works at Apple. They have a project plan for the next eight years that is set in stone. And then another two years on top of that is theoretical. And another two years on top of that is like, maybe we can do this. So they've got 12 years worth of plans. You'll get the average entrepreneurial business. There is no plan. And I think that is like the biggest deficit that we have in small business today. I love that you're talking about this with the perspective of the long-term plan, but really the outcome-driven team versus the task-driven team. Because I think that is a lot of what creates burnout is feeling everybody wants meaning in their work. Everybody wants to work towards something bigger than themselves. And you can only check so many boxes in a day to feel like you're getting meaning. So I really love this perspective on it. I think one of the things that's sort of coming to mind for me is this idea of proactive versus reactive. So we have a lot of people come to us wanting to hire a community manager that's been trained through our program. And we have to really educate them on the difference between first off a virtual assistant and a community manager, but second off proactive versus reactive because community managers are by default often reactive. And we really train them to be proactive. And it's because we switch that perspective from like, hey, just make sure you handle any fires in the community or you let people in or out or whatever it might be to your goal isn't just engagement, it's progress. It's helping people make more progress. And in doing so, that impacts our retention rate, which increases our lifetime value, which allows us to scale because now we can spend more per customer and all of that. So we really try to give that community manager a perspective that's much bigger than the role that they've been given. So is having these outcome-driven roles, is that part of the key that leads to more proactive employees versus the reactive employees where business owners often feel like they're not getting enough from their team. (laughs) They're not getting enough for that certain role. And there's a ton of turnover. Yeah. And it's not just from not getting enough from their team or not getting enough from the role or a ton of turnover. You know, you hear, I hear dialogues from entrepreneurs all the time. Like, I want my team to step up. I want them to take initiative. They're not engaged. They're not excited. They don't make decisions like I do. They don't. This is one of my favorite statements that entrepreneurs make. I can do anything my team does faster. Have you heard that? Like, oh yeah, that's like a universal. Like, oh, you know, I hired this person to do this thing, and it takes them three times as long as I as me. To me, the symptom in all of that, in a team not taking initiative, and in not feeling like they're stepping up, and not feeling like you get the support you need, is that they don't have clarity as to where they're going. And this is a scenario and equation that I've worked with over and over again, where 
you look at an entrepreneurial team and the only person that really understands where the company is going is the entrepreneur. And there is no plan. There's no documentation. There's no like, here's what we're doing. And these are what our goals are. Here is our finish line this month. And instead there's no finish lines. It's just continue working until something changes and then work on that thing and then work on the next thing. And there's no context as to whether you're succeeding or not succeeding. And what happens so often on entrepreneurial teams is that we attract people that are different than the people going to work for Ford or Apple or Intel or companies like, or Facebook or Google. Like the person who's going to work over there wants to be in that type of a structure. The person who's working in a small business, typically they want to be able to achieve. They want to be able to contribute. They want to be able to be recognized. They want to be able to succeed. Like success is so important to the A players that go work in our size businesses. Then we put them in this situation where they don't understand the outcome, so they can't work autonomously. They don't really understand what the goals or objectives are. So they work on stuff as they're given the stuff to work on, or they work on problems or, or fires or putting something out or last minute heroics. And oftentimes we drive the best people out of the team because they came to your company to win. And as entrepreneurs, we create this further challenging dynamic where we have a $1 million business and we set the annual goal at 10. And so now not only are they not succeeding day to day, but we've set this outcome that shows them they're losing every single month. And we're teaching them to lose gracefully. And we're teaching them to be in this situation where it's okay not to hit the numbers. It's okay not to hit the goal, but we're going to get there someday. And you add all that up. And what often happens is entrepreneurs end up with a team of people who are willing to put up with all of that. And that is not the same team of people who's willing to go out and be really productive. And so if you show people where you're going, if they have clarity as to what they need to do, they can go autonomously do those things and raise their hand when they need help. And man, it's so much easier for us as entrepreneurs, but the path of like doing that is obscured for most of us. I know it was for me for most of my career. It's fascinating because there's this book called The One Minute Manager, and it talks about- Oh, it's worst book ever. I hate that book. <laughs> it talks about a lot of that stuff. And I've admired that book. And then now like I'm hearing the way you're talking about this. And I'm like, wait a second. That book is crap. It's like a completely different perspective on it. But you're right. Like In a small business, an A player is going to be attracted to something completely different. They don't just not want to be micromanaged, which is kind of what that book is all about. It's like, how to not micromanage your employees. It's not called that, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah, but it's the book about how to not micromanage employees with this one minute micromanagement tactic. And it like, it's horrible. It's, I get emotional about that book, Shanna. When I was, <laughs> here's what used to happen. When I was a consultant, that book came out a long time ago. And it's so popular because every person in business hates to do manage. If you ask an entrepreneur, are you good at managing people? No. Well, what if it only took you a minute? Oh, I'll listen to something where I only have to spend a minute on managing the people who are building my future, building my company. Like, come on. And when you look at that book, it's perpetuated this myth that you don't have to spend time with your people in order for the company to grow. And it's perpetuated this myth that in these one minute interactions, you can put somebody in the right direction. You can send somebody off to get work done. You can have somebody be like, understand what's going on. And when I was a consultant in my twenties, what would often happen is one of the companies that I was working with would have that group come in and they would give the book to everybody. And it would be like the new Bible that they're going to use for the year. And it was a train wreck every time I almost cussed. It was a train wreck every single time because 
What ended up happening was it encouraged managers to spend less time with people and made these one minute interventions, the thing that is going to be like the way you grow the business. And oh, there's this strategy in the book. I can't remember. It's got the dumbest name. It's like the discipline sandwich or something like that, where it's the one minute discipline process where you tell somebody good about what they're doing. Then you tell them the challenge and then you give them the positive. So it sounds something like, Shanna, I'm so happy with what you're doing. And I really love having you as an employee, but you've been late for the last 21 days. And like, we don't accept that here, but I want you to know how much I appreciate you. You know what the team member heard? You love me and you appreciate me. Yeah, I can keep showing up late. <laughs> you know? And like, it's the worst strategy ever. It is not a candid conversation book. It's just overall, it's a joke. And I think there's too many strategies out there that feed off of the desires we have as business owners and leaders, but don't actually give you the really difficult work that you need to do in order to have a business grow. I would throw that book out, The One Minute Manager, and go buy Radical Candor. Radical Candor is a book about having real conversations with people, about letting people know what's really happening, about being transparent and real with empathy because truth, I often hear entrepreneurs say, well, I was sharing my truth with my team. Well, truth without empathy can be weaponized unintentionally. And so if we understand that by being candid, by being transparent, by having empathy with the people around us and having real conversations, that's what really grows a business. And I'm sorry, but you can't do it in a minute. Yeah, exactly. And that's what sets people up to win. So, okay, I feel like a lot of people are going, where do I start? And it sounds like it's with better understanding themselves first. And I know you have your entrepreneurial personality type. We could have done a whole episode on that, but we didn't. So what's the best way for people to like dive in to start to really understand these things that we're talking about is like entrepreneurs struggle with this and this is hard for entrepreneurs, but you don't have to use that as an excuse and as limits to grow and scale your business. So Shannon, in 2015, I sat down and I wrote the book, The Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And it was my manifesto on who we are as entrepreneurs and how we can improve our lives and how we can understand ourselves better. And I actually started the process of writing that book by recording a series of podcasts that I'm repeating right now. So my podcast is called Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. And starting last week, I started re-recording the episodes about the entrepreneurial personality type with the first one that I think is called Evolutionary Hunter Revisited. So that's a great place to hear it if you like audio. And then we've made the entrepreneurial personality type ebook completely free. You can go download it, no strings attached. Go to freeeptbook.com and download the ebook. You can also buy the hard copy if you want the souvenir. And it'll explain our personality type to you in a way that probably no one ever has. I think one of the most important things for us as entrepreneurs is to feel seen, heard, and validated. And I wrote that book for myself to feel seen, heard, and validated. I wrote that book as an argument about who my kids are. I wrote that book as a manifesto about who my friends are. I wrote the book as an explanation of who we are and why we are in the world. And the best compliment that I ever have gotten is so often people come back and they're like, Alex, I understand myself better than I ever have just from reading the book. And so I'd love for anyone who's listening to go download it at freeeptbook.com. And if you do, I'm available on social media. I'd love to get your reflections and any feedback that you have. Well, Alex, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really am grateful for this conversation because I feel 
like we kind of talked about this, but oftentimes on a podcast, it's just kind of like, here's my framework, here's my formula. And this has been a genuine conversation on your reflection of your journey and the journey of those that you've worked with. And so I know if anybody is listening to this right now, and they can relate to that feeling of being the arsonist or that feeling of constantly filling that time freedom that they've worked so hard to get that white space, constantly filling that either because of guilt or a feeling of inadequacy or not feeling important and needing that kind of validation in their work, that after this, after listening to this conversation, they know that they can trust you, that you get it, that you're not going to shame them for it, that you're not going to come in and just slap an operating system or an SOP on something to try and fix their business, but that you're actually going to be fully integrated in with who they are as an entrepreneur, how that interacts with the people they're trying to serve, with the team that they're serving as well. And I love just hearing you talk about this, your heart behind it in that fully integrated approach. And I know it's going to create a lot of value in this world. So thank you so much for coming to share that with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Shanna. You know, I think for anyone who's listening, being an entrepreneur is not easy. We've chosen probably the most difficult path that you can choose in life as a way to earn a living. And I've had people say like, oh, what about the people who defuse bombs? I'm like, they get to go home and leave the bomb at, at work. <laughs> we don't. But in the fact that it's the most difficult, I think it also is the path that creates the most intense amount of personal growth and the most intense amount of personal development if we let it. And as an entrepreneur, if you're willing to reflect on yourself, if you're willing to work on yourself, if you're willing to take care of yourself, to me, that's the fastest way to actually creating the success that you want in the world and the type of life that you have always desired, but maybe you're afraid to admit. And if anyone out there tells you that it's going to be easy or that you don't have to work on yourself or that you can do it all by yourself, they're probably trying to sell something to you and it's not going to go that well. Lean into the coaches who tell you this is a tough path to take, but there's a way to make it easier, but it will never be easy. Oh, man, I'm not sure that any better truth has ever been spoken (laughs) to an entrepreneur for sure. After enduring this for many, many years, I'm like, that is it. And when people ask me all the time, they're like, hey, I'd kind of like to start my own business. I'm like, would you know? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what you're signing up for? (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk. Let me peel back that Instagram reel you saw on that influencer's TikTok and let's let's talk about this. But I'm truly grateful. I'm grateful for the conversation. Y'all go get the book, read it, sit with it and feel seen and heard and valued in reading that. And then ask yourself, what now? What am I going to do about this now? Don't just read it to read. We do that so often with these books, but read it and then ask yourself, like, what do I need to do now that I know these things? Alex, thanks for hanging out. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation and I appreciate everything you do. Love it. Bye. Hey, if you're serious about creating a thriving online community, then you need to really understand the four foundations of every thriving community. I'm going to teach it to you in a free seven-minute training. That's right. It's just seven minutes. You don't even have to give me your email address to get access. All you have to do is go to freecommunitytraining.com or DM me the word training over on Instagram to get access. Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. Then do me a favor and leave a review letting me know what you want to hear more of. To learn more about the show or connect with me, head to shanalyn.com. That's S-H-A-N-A-L-Y-N-N.com. Until next time.